You know, it was a number of years ago when I was meeting with my dear friend and a mentor of mine, Dr. George Boyd, when he closed our time together in a way that really had an impact on my life. You know what he did, for, did with me? He prayed for me. Now, it's not just so much that he prayed for me that had a real impact and left a mark on my life. It was how he prayed for me that really gripped my heart. See, I was pretty used to hearing George pray for me for all kinds of things, but usually it was things that I'd kind of requested. It was maybe a struggle I was going through or a crisis or a need that I'd hear him pray for. But on this occasion, he took the initiative to pray his own heart for me. I had this chance to listen as this more mature, godly man started to open up his heart and pray his heart for me to God. I got to tell you, I was really moved to hear his longing for my life. And, And so much so that I still remember that prayer from years ago, even today. Have you had a time when other people have come and done that for you too? where a more mature Christian comes alongside you and invites you to come with them into the throne room of God, and they let you hear the things that they're pouring out to God, their longings that they want to see in your life that they're asking the Father to bring about. Have you had that? I hope you've had that. And Christians, we need to do more of this. There's something incredible that happens in a moment like that. It's a moving, deeply personal, intimate kind of thing. And in fact, if you really trust the person who's praying for you, Something happens. It's almost like your heart starts to beat in sync with theirs. You know what I'm talking about? It's like you start joining them in that prayer saying, yes, Lord, yes, I want my life to be the amen to their prayer. A prayer like that is a powerful thing. Well, this morning, we're going to be in the, the, the last little section of John chapter 17, where you're going to have a chance to join your heart with Jesus as he prays for you like that. Like This is not just hearing a more mature Christian pour out their heart of prayer for you. This is hearing what the Son of God prays for in your life. You're going to have a chance to hear him pour out some, some of his deep longings for you in your life. Now, what you'll see is, even though he prayed this prayer some 2,000 years ago, when he prayed it, If your faith is in him, he had you on his mind. And since it's written down for us here in John 17, it's as though today even we are being invited to join him in the throne room of God as he pours out these requests to the Father. You're going to have a chance to see actually kind of three elements of his prayer. You'll have a chance to see his request for you and his yearning for you and his deep commitment to you. Now here's my prayer for you this morning. My prayer is that you would be so moved by the prayer of Jesus that your heart would begin to beat in sync with his. That you would be moved to say, yes, Lord, I want that too. Let my life be the amen to Jesus' prayer. So that's what we're looking at this morning in John 17. We're looking at this is Jesus, his prayer for you and his prayer for me. It seems fitting that we would take a moment and pray before we go to John 17 and look at that, wouldn't it? So let me pray for us. Father, what what an incredible gift. What What a precious, special thing for us to have a chance to have insight into the prayer of Jesus for us. 
Lord, I know that sometimes when we come to your word, there is a, a sort of an instinct in us that wants to kind of study it intellectually, but maybe hold it at arm's length a little bit. God, I pray that you wouldn't allow that to happen today. That you would be moving by your Holy Spirit through this text and into our hearts so that we'd be changed, we'd be transformed by being invited into this prayer of Jesus. We ask this thing in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, allow me to pray, uh, read for us from John chapter 17. Follow along in your own Bible. Hope you've got it handy. John 17, the words will be on the screen, but it'll help you if you can see it even in your own hand. And I'll be reading verses 20 to 26. Jesus says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Well, the first thing that I want you to notice from Jesus' prayer here is that Jesus' prayer is for you. His prayer is for you and it's for me and it's for all who believe in him. So this isn't a prayer that's just kind of like mostly for someone else, but maybe kind of a little bit applicable to you. No, no, no. If your faith is in Jesus, then his prayer here in John 17 is for you and for me and for everyone who believes. And he's praying that we somehow would be so united that we who are many would become one. Jesus' prayer is for you and me and all who believe. Now we know that because in the section that comes before our passage, verses 6 to 19, Jesus has been praying there for the apostles. You see that? He's praying for those remaining 11 disciples. But now in verse 20 when we pick things up, he says, now my prayer is not for them alone, not just for those apostles. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. What that means then is if you're someone who believes the apostolic message, you believe this message that Jesus has sent the apostles to us with, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He's the Messiah, that He came to save us from our sin, to give His life as a ransom, you believe these things to be true about Jesus, the message of the apostles, then He says He's praying for you. He's got you on His mind in this moment. Now, I know that he's praying for all Christians in, in a way corporately, but that doesn't change the reality that he's praying for you, Christian, specifically. As Jesus prays this prayer, he's saying, Father, this is my prayer. This is the thing that I'm pointing for George. This is my prayer for Alan. This is my prayer that I'm pouring out for Shandy or for Catherine. 
Father, this is the longing of my heart. And he starts, what we're going to see next is just a beautiful, amazing thing. That on this night, this night of his own great suffering, right before he goes to the cross, he's got us on his mind and we're going to notice some of the things that he's pouring out for us here. So the next thing I want you to notice, first then, is prayers for you and me and all who believe. Second thing I want you to notice here is that the request of Jesus' prayer is that for you and me and all who believe that we would be completely unified. That's the big ask here that's on Jesus' heart. This is the thing he's asking the Father for. For you and me and all of us to be completely unified, to be made to be so one that we who are many become one. I let that cat out of the bag earlier, didn't I? Just realized that. That's his request. He's praying that we would be unified in that kind of way. Look with me at verses 21 to 23. Do you notice how he prayed that three times over? He prays first, verse 21. This is, here's my prayer, Father. Here's my request, that all of them may be one. Verse 22, that they may be one as we are one. Verse 23, so that they may be brought to complete unity. That's the request of Jesus, for us to be completely unified. Now, maybe when you hear that at first, it might be a little bit disappointing to some of you, especially if you don't understand what he's asking for. You might kind of say, really, Jesus? That's the big request? I was kind of hoping he'd pray and ask that I'd be healthy. I was hoping he'd pray that and ask that I'd be happy, that I'd have these needs in my life fulfilled. Now, those are important things. They matter to Jesus, too. But on this night before he goes to the cross, they're, they're not the thing he's praying for. His request is that we would be completely unified. And if that doesn't sound to you like news that's like too good to be true, like, wow, how could that even be so that I might receive this thing he's praying for? If it doesn't sound like that to you, then I would suggest we're going to have to look back at this passage. You must have missed it. You don't understand how great this thing is he's praying for. See, he's not just praying that us Christians would be nice to each other. He's not just praying that we would be kind or civil toward one another. He's not even just praying that we'd be really good teammates to each other. Look at verse 22. It says, here's my prayer, Father, that they may be one as we are one. Do you hear what he's praying for there? Jesus is asking that you and I would have such a deep and profound unity with each other, Christian, that it would be the same kind of unity as exists in the Trinity. Let that sink in for a minute. For us to have a Trinitarian type of unity... One of the incredible things about the Trinity that just moves us to worship God is that we can't even fully express it. It's just too glorious for that. You can't categorize it somehow. People try sometimes. People will use a metaphor. They'll say, oh, maybe the Trinity is kind of like water. You know, one substance can come in three forms, solid, liquid, or gas. Nuh-uh. Doesn't cut it. Don't use that as a metaphor for the Trinity. In fact, it's misleading to people. That is actually a heresy. It's called modalism. And it fails to help people understand that God is actually three distinct persons, not just three modes. Or people will say, okay, well, maybe then the Trinity's kind of like an egg. You got one egg, but it's got three parts, a shell and a yolk and an egg white. No, don't use that one either. Also misleading to people, also actually a heresy. 
It's called tritheism. It fails to understand that God is one in eternal essence. Now, don't come up to me after and say, okay, well, I've got the metaphor. It's this one, because there ain't nothing in all the world that can explain the Trinity. It is far too wondrous and far too glorious for that. Three distinct persons entirely united as one in essence. And yet here, in this moment, is somehow Jesus praying for you and I to have the same kind of glorious, inexpressible, can't somehow categorize it kind of unity. He prays, verse 22, Father, here's my request, that they may be one as we are one. You and me, and hundreds and thousands and millions upon millions of followers of Jesus, all distinct, all unique, all our own kind of person from every tribe and tongue and nation and language and color of skin and cultural background and COVID perspective. United as one, one in heart and one in mind and one in purpose and one in love. Jesus' request on the night that he goes to the cross is for all of us to be completely unified. That is an incredible thing. Now, I want you to notice three quick things with me here about what this unity is not and what it is that comes straight from our passage, okay? First thing, this unity is not an unqualified unity. What it is, is a unity in the gospel, What I'm trying to say is, sometimes people try to unite just around like the desire to be united itself. doesn't work. You can't unite around nothing. It's actually heartbreaking to realize the United Church of Canada tried to do that. They're not united in anything anymore except in their name. This is a unity that can only be found through our adherence to the gospel. That's what Jesus says in verse 20. He's praying for us. He says, I'll pray for those who will believe in me through their message that they all may be one. We cannot have this unity if we do not hold fast to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord of all the earth. It's not an unqualified unity. It is a unity that's found in the gospel. Second thing I want you to notice here. This is not a unity that we can manufacture. What it is, is a gift from God. It's actually a gift from God that comes to us through our union with Him. Now, you can hurt this unity, you can hinder it, you can even destroy it to some extent, but you can't manufacture it. And of course you can't manufacture it. How on earth could we manufacture something that is so wondrous and so glorious that you cannot scientifically dissect it so as to understand it like it's in a Petri dish? You can't replicate it if you can't dissect it like that. It's too wondrous for that. But what Jesus is saying here is this unity comes to us as a gift from God through our union with God through faith in Jesus. That's what he says in verse, look at the first part of verse 21. I'm praying that all of them may be one Father, Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. First part of verse 23, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. What that says then 
is that the more united and unified we become with God, the more we press into our union with God through faith in Jesus, the more we will find unity with one another. By the way, there's another thing Jesus says here that he gives us that is to bring about this unity. He says he gives us the glory the Father has given him so that we'll be united like this. Look at verse 22. Do you see it there? I've given them the glory that you gave me, Father, that they may be one as we are one. Now, theologians debate about what that glory is that Jesus is referring about. They say, what's he mean? This glory that Jesus gives us to unite us. What do you think he's talking about there? Tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to let you chew on that for the rest of this morning and the early part of the afternoon. You work through that a little bit and think about what is the glory Jesus gives us to unite us. And at 2 o'clock this afternoon, we're going to release a video on our Facebook page. And I'll give you my thoughts on it. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You could put them in the request or the comment section, okay? That sound good? I think that'll be fun. Third thing I want you to notice about what this unity is not and what it is. This unity is not only for our own benefit. What it is, is part of our mission. Now, of course, it is for our own benefit. As we come to have this kind of unity, boy, it's enjoyable. It brings peace and love and fellowship. But it's not just for our own benefit. Jesus has given us this unity to help us with our mission as we go into the world and implore people to believe on the name of Jesus and be saved. We know that because he says, look at verse 21. Why is he asking for this? I'm praying for this unity so that the world may believe that you sent me, Father. Or verse 23, he wants us to come to complete unity. Why? Because then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus asks for us to have this unity because it's not just for our own benefit, but although it is, but he asks for it because it's part of our mission. See, there is something so otherworldly about the unity that Jesus offers us, Christian. Something so beautiful that it is designed to capture the world's attention that they would say, surely Jesus is the Son of God. Surely God truly does so love the world that he sent his only Son so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Now, you know what this means, right? Jesus asking for us to have this kind of unity. It means when you and I, Christian, choose to divide from one another based on disputable matters, or based on tertiary theological issues, when we choose to divide from one another based on that kind of thing, effectively what we've said is, okay, Jesus, I know the night before you go to the cross, the very thing that you're asking for for me is that I would have this kind of deep, profound, Trinitarian type of unity, type of gift that only you could bring to pass, something that would be for my good, something that would cause the world to look on this and say, surely Jesus is the Son of God, but right now I want something else more. I'd rather be right and prove it. I'd rather hold out until I get this thing that I'm owed. I want what I want more than I want this unity Jesus has prayed for. And we harm the unity. God forgive us. Friends, there is a much better way. 
Allow your heart to kind of get caught up in what Jesus is doing here as he invites you into this prayer. And he says, here's my request for all those who believe in me. This is my longing, Father. I'm asking that you would make them one, that they would be one as we are one. God, would you bring them to complete unity? Then the world will know that you sent me. And as we hear Jesus saying this, doesn't that like make your heart start to beat in sync with his? Don't you find yourself starting to say, God, that's what I want too. Yes, Lord, yes. Give me that unity with other believers. I'm casting off these other things that I thought I wanted more. Allow my life to become the amen to Jesus' prayer. Jesus is praying for you and me and all who believe. And we see that his request is for us to be completely united. He doesn't stop, though, at this request. He doesn't make this request and then just... Say an amen. No, Jesus allows us to remain with him as he now starts to pour out his heart with his longing or his yearning for your life. And the next thing we're going to see in our passage then is that the yearning of Jesus' prayer is for us to be with him. That's the ache of his heart. That's the longing. He wants you to be with him in heaven. The yearning of Jesus' prayer is for us to be with him. Look with me at verse 24. You'll see it there. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Have you ever been separated from somebody that you really deeply love for a season of time? I think back to a number of years ago, I was in Peru on a short-term mission trip and uh, Carrie wasn't with me. And somewhere along the way in the trip, we had a chance if we wanted to call home and see how family was doing, and we got a little bit of Wi-Fi or something, and so uh, I took up the opportunity and reached out. Now, I'd only been gone for a couple of weeks, but when I heard Carrie's voice, whoa, I just started longing to be with her. And I'm hearing that she's missing me, and then to make it even a little tougher, I start hearing, you know, there have been some challenges at home while I've been away. And all of a sudden, like, we start yearning together for me to be with her where she is. But she wasn't asking me to come home. It wasn't a request. There's a difference between the two. It was a yearning. She longed for me to be there with her, even though we both recognized it couldn't happen yet. It was more that I had to do where I was. In a way, that's what Jesus is doing for us here. He's yearning for us to be with him, even though he's not asking that we be brought to him right now. In fact, in verse 15, as he prayed for the apostles, he says, Father, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. So he's not asking that we be brought to him right now. He knows there's still far too much work for us to do in this world, Christian. He knows this world is not ready for him to come. And yet even still, he's yearning for the day that we'll be with him where he is. Now, we talked a little bit today about a few people from our church family that have gone to be with the Lord. This is the reality that right now Bruce and Dawn and Elizabeth are experiencing. They're with Jesus in his presence. His yearning for them has been fulfilled. But even here in John 17, as Jesus prays this prayer for you and me, he's yearning that we would be with him. Now, remember how I said part of the reason that I was yearning to be home with Carrie when I'd been away in Peru was because, like, I heard there were challenges and some bumps, and 
I just wanted to be with her in that. I, I knew that like being home, I wasn't going to be able to fix everything. But as I heard some of the struggles that she was experiencing, I just wanted to be there. I just wanted to help any way that I could. Well, that's some of what's happening here in a way too, except Jesus doesn't yearn for you to be with him just so that he can kind of help you with your struggles. He's yearning for you to be with him because he knows your struggles. And he knows the Christian, when you are with him and you see him in his glory as he truly is, it's not just going to help you. It's going to heal you. It's going to perfect all his work in you. It's going to make you whole. I know he's longing for that because if you look at verse 24, he says, I want those you've been with me, to, uh, the, the, those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. He wants you to see him as he is. And in 1 John chapter 3, God's word says, we know that when Christ appears, we'll be made like him for we will see him as he is. You hear what that's saying? Somehow, when our faith is in Jesus and we get there and we see him as he is in all of his glory, it is going to transform us. We'll be glorified. We'll be made whole and holy and complete. Now, you didn't ask Jesus to pray this prayer for you. He just took the initiative to do it on his own. Do you hear his heart? He's saying, Father, this is what I'm longing for. I want this. I want everyone who's faith in me to be with me where I am. This is what I'm asking for, Father. I'm asking that Jesse would be with me where I am. I want him to see my glory. See, I'm asking Tyler would be with me where I am so that he could see my glory. And Barbara to be with me where I am so that she could see my glory. And Kathy to be with me where I am so she could see my glory. Why? Because he knows that when you are with him where he is and you see his glory, you will be glorified somehow. All his work in you will be complete and you'll be made whole. That's the longing of his heart, his yearning for you to be with him. Well, there's one more thing I want you to see here from our passage. So first we see he's praying for you and me and everyone who believes. Second, we see his request. It's that we would have a supernatural unity. Then we see his yearning. It's that we'd be with him where he is and see his glory and be transformed by it. And finally, what I want you to see here is he, he makes his commitment to us known. What we see in verses 25 and 26 is that the commitment of Jesus' prayer is to make God known to us. That's his promise. That's the thing he's going to deliver on. He is going to make God known to us. The commitment of Jesus' prayer in John 17 is to make God known to us. Look at verses 25 and 26. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you've sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. In a way, this isn't then a new commitment at all, is it? It's an ongoing commitment. He says, I've made you known to them, and I'm going to continue to make you known to them. So it's a commitment that's a little more like a husband who writes in his wife's Valentine's card. I chose you. I still choose you. I will always choose you. By the way, tomorrow's Valentine's Day, guys. You're welcome. Go get her one of those cards with a little train on it that says, I choo, choo, choose you. <laughs> She'll love it. Okay, maybe not. I think we better do a little better than that one now, don't we? Don't you? 
But that's, so what we're kind of seeing here from Jesus is his commitment. How deeply committed he is to making God known. He says, this is what I've done. I've made God known. This is what I'm going to continue to do. I'll continue to make you known, Father. This is what I'll always do. I'll always make God known. Jesus is the fullness of the revelation of God. He makes God known to us. Now, you know why he's so deeply committed to that? He tells you in verse 26. In order that, look at it. In order that, two things, the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. You cannot truly know the love of God if you don't truly know God. It's not enough to know about him. You could know all about him. Doesn't mean you're going to know his love in this kind of way. You got to know him personally, relationally, deeply. And Jesus is committed to helping you know God and know him more deeply and know him more deeply still. Because as you come to know God, then the love of God, catch this, the same love the Father has for the Son. Not a different kind of love, not a lesser form of it. The same love comes to live within us. We receive it into us. We experience his love. Jesus is committed to making God known to us because as we see and God is made known to us and particularly here as we come to realize that Jesus is truly the Son of God, that he is truly the Savior of the world and we come to know who God is, then by that knowing and through our faith in him, this is incredible. The life of the divine Son of God comes to dwell within us. We get too used to that, I think, sometimes Christians. Almost like that's Well, of course that's what happens. The life of God alive within us. It's incredible. Now, I just want you to back up for a second and think about all these things Jesus has been praying for. It is like he's been praying for things that are infinitely greater than you or I could ever ask God for. First thing he prays for after he makes it known that his his prayers for you and me and all who believe them, we see he's pouring out this request. What was his request? Oh, only just that we would have a supernatural unity. One in kind with the Trinity actually through our union with God, that we have union with each other. It's like we ought to be saying, how can that even be so? Here's Jesus asking for it. Then we say, well, what's the the yearning of his prayer? Oh, the yearning of his prayer is only that we would be with him where he is so that we would see his glory because he knows then we'll be transformed by it. We'll be glorified. All his work will be complete. And then what's his commitment? Oh, he says only that he'll make the the living God known to us because as God becomes known to us, then somehow the love of God and the life of the Son come to dwell within us. This is like too much. It's too good to be true. This is Jesus' prayer for you and for me and everyone who believes. Now, when we set out, I told you that my prayer for you is that you would be so moved by Jesus' prayer, as he pours out his heart to God, that your heart would begin to beat in sync with his. That you'd start to say, oh, Lord, I want it. Yes, yes, let my life be the amen to Jesus' prayer. Have you experienced that this morning? As we see his request for unity, have you started to pray, oh, God, I want this unity. Forgive me for the way that I've chased after other things. I'm done with these things that have divided for silly, unnecessary reasons. I want this unity that Jesus has asked that we would have. I want the world to know through that unity Jesus is the Son of God. 
If you're praying for that, then, then one of the things you might want to do right now is just start praying, God, have I been hurting it somehow? Have I been hindering it? Because we can't manufacture the unity, but we can hurt it, can't we? Say, God, forgive me of that. Help me walk away from those things. Maybe God would say to you this morning, you need to go seek a brother or sister in Christ out. You've been divided and you need to be reconciled. Maybe God would say to another Christian, you know of a couple of Christians that have been divided. You need to go to them and help them see the request of Jesus' prayer in John 17. See how he wants this. Help them want this and help them to be reconciled. We need this, Christians. And the world needs us to have it. And Jesus is asking that we would. Or how about then, as we saw this yearning, have your heart started to beat in sync with his for that? So that you'd say, oh, Lord, I want to be with you where you are too. I know I'm not done here yet. Don't throw in the towel. There's lots of serving him to do. There's lots of sanctifying needs to happen in our lives. And yet, as we walk in the ways of the Lord, while we wait for him to say, now's the time, you could do as Colossians chapter 3 says. It says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, not on earthly things. How often are our hearts thrown towards heaven that we would be with Jesus? It goes on to say, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For it, it says, well, I got mixed up here, forgive me. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If we're longing and yearning like Jesus is for us to be with him, then it means that we need to cast our hearts and minds towards heaven again and again and again, yearn with him for that day. Or maybe you'd notice this third thing here, that Jesus, his deep commitment, and you'd be moved by his commitment to make God known. If that's the case for you, cash in on that commitment. He's there. He's offering it. He's like, oh, I'm, this is what I do. I make God known. Turn to him and say, Jesus, I'm asking for you to help me here. I, maybe Christian, you'd say, well, I already know who God is. Ah, yeah, of course. And yet, we know him in part. We could never know him fully while we walk this earth. Except Jesus is committed to helping you know him and know him more deeply and know him more deeply still. It's what he does. So turn to him and say, Jesus, would you help me? I want this so that I can know more of the love of God in my life. I want this so that I can enjoy the indwelling presence of you in me. One final appeal I want to make here, and that's to those who don't yet know Jesus. Those who have not yet turned to him in faith and say, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. What I want you to notice in our passage is that there is an open invitation here to you. This is what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to join him. He wants you to be part of his people. He wants you to turn to him in faith and say, Jesus, okay, I see it. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you're the one who makes God known. I believe you died in my place as you said you did. I believe you came to pay for my sins so that I could be brought to God. And I believe that through knowing God, through knowing you, the love of God will come to live in my life. Your life, Jesus, your, will come and be present in my life. Turn to Jesus in faith today. There's no need to even leave this place. You could make today the day that you would say, Jesus, I, I'm trusting you for this. I want this. I want the love of the Father. Same love he has for you, I can have, I want it. 
I want the life of you, Jesus the Son, in me. I want to be brought into this community that's not perfect, but it has Jesus requesting that we would be one. It gives us great hope. And I want to have this knowledge that the pleading of Jesus in my life, this, this yearning that it'll be for me, that his prayer in John 17 will be for me, that comes through turning to Jesus in faith. Let me close this in prayer. Father, here we are praying to you, Lord, and, and we're just baffled. We're humbled. We're overwhelmed by the reality that Jesus would pray for us. Jesus, we see your heart poured out for us. We see that your prayers for us go light years beyond anything we could ask or imagine. Surely, surely, Jesus, you love us. You love us more than we ever dared to hope. And what you want for us is far better than anything that we could want for ourselves. And so I pray that you would grant it, Lord, that on this day hearts would turn to you in faith. I pray that on this day, Lord, there would be some, even who are present or who are watching online, who would make today the day that they say, I'm turning to Jesus in faith and believing. I'm becoming part of his people, that this prayer would be for me too, that I would be saved and right with God. And then, God, I'm praying for all of us that we would be so deeply moved that our lives would become the amen to your prayer. And all God's people said,